a clean house, a homemade dinner on the table, a dozen roses, and the wife asks, what's up? <laughs> Nothing, honey. But halfway through dinner, well, there is one thing. Um, there is one spot on the golfing trip with the guys. What do you think? Oh, Mom, you look so pretty today. Right? Is there anything I can do to help you around the house? Right? Anything at all, because I just love you so much. All right, honey. Mom says to her teenage daughter, what do you want? Can I borrow the car on Friday night? Hey, there he is. It's my favorite employee. Ah, oh, you are such a hard worker. Do you know that? Have I told you lately how much I appreciate your dedication to our company? Thanks, you say? Anticipating what's coming from your boss? We're going to need you to come in on Saturday. Sometimes people's motives behind what they say and what they do aren't always maybe as pure and good as we would like them to be, right? But it's not just other people, is it? I mean, why do you go to work? To a job that you really don't care for very much? Just to get the paycheck? Because you gotta? <laughs> Why do you do the housework? Fold the laundry, do the dishes, clean the bathrooms. Is it because so you, you don't want to hear anybody complaining anymore about how dirty the house is? Or, and all the while you're just complaining about how you're the only one doing it? Why do you serve here at church? Why do you give your offerings? Is it a sense of obligation? Is it guilt? Is it, well, if I don't, who's going to? Or on this Father's Day, dads, why do you or why did you spend time with your kids and, and have family devotions with them and, and take them places? Is it because it's your obligation as a father? It's what you were supposed to do? If we admit it, it's true that our motives often are not where they should be, right? God-pleasing, focused on others instead there's so many other motivators in our life on why we do things and how we do things. This morning, I want to give you a different motivation for everything in your life, absolutely everything, down to folding the laundry. And it's not guilt and it's not compulsion and it's not because no one else is going to do it. But from God's word today, we're going to see that whatever we do in life, no matter how simple it might be, no matter how much we may not like it, we do it. Moved by mercy. And not mercy for others, first and foremost, but, but first because of mercy that's been shown to us. We're taking a look at our second lesson this morning, appointed for this Sunday from 1 Timothy. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, is writing to Pastor Timothy here. Pastor Timothy is young. Uh, he's newer in the ministry. Paul has been around a while. And so he writes this letter and, and also the, the one we have in our Bible called 2 Timothy. And he, Titus is similar. Titus is another young pastor. He writes these letters of encouragement to these young men uh, to support them, encourage them, correct them in their life, their doctrine. Right? And here, right at the beginning of his first letter to Timothy, Paul talks about why he does what he does. He talks about his motivation. He, he writes about 
what he was and what he is now and, and how that impacts everything he does. I'm going to read it for you again. It is printed out in the service folder for you. Uh, it's a second lesson. Uh, it starts at verse 12. Paul writes, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might be dis display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch what Paul's motivation is? It was not a sense of guilt or compulsion. It was not because no one else was going to do it. It was the mercy of God so moved by what his God had done for him that it impacted every part of his life. Would you agree that your passion for something probably relies on your experience? Let me give you a, a simple example. There are not many soccer fans here in the United States who have not played the game themselves, right? Uh, if you've never played the game of soccer, you might turn it on and think it's just a bunch of guys running around for 90 minutes and it ends one nothing. That's just boring, right? Unless you've experienced it, unless you have played it and you know how the game works, you're probably not going to get too excited about it. Paul was pretty excited about mercy <laughs> because he experienced it. He knew it firsthand. And it changed everything for him. Is it the same for you? I mean, knowing God's mercy, experiencing that mercy yourself, it, has it changed your life? Do you look at your life differently? Does it get you excited about living life? Does it impact what you do and what you say and how you say things and how you do things? Does it impact what you watch on TV and how you spend your money and who you hang out with? Does that mercy change your life? Or are you kind of like that soccer novice who turns it on and just, I just don't get it. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Friends, Paul got it. Paul got it. And, and, and so what's the difference? What's the difference between Paul and us? that Paul was willing to admit something about himself. Paul was real about himself. He knew himself, and he was not afraid to admit it to himself and to everybody around him. And, and I guess the question for us this morning is, are we willing to admit the same thing about ourselves? Have you ever heard anyone say, that guy's just the worst? It's not a very nice thing, right? It's pretty cutting to say that about somebody, right? Uh, it, and maybe you've had it said about you. Maybe you've overheard someone say it, or maybe someone said it right to you. You're the worst, right? But if you haven't, if you've never experienced that before, can I be the first? You are the worst. You really are. 
But before you're quick to throw it back at me, I know I am too. You are the worst of sinners. <laughs> and so am I. And maybe your first thought is, oh, wait, pastor, hold on a second. I'm a sinner. I will admit that. I admitted that in the confession of sins a little earlier. But the worst of sinners, if you need to know who those are, I'll show you happily, pastor. <laughs> they're, they're holding elected offices, right? And they, and they get in cars behind the wheel when they're under the influence of something and not caring about anybody else's life, right? They're out looting and vandalizing other people's property and businesses, Right? There are people who are sleeping around with whoever they want. Right? There are people who have double standards when it comes to acceptance and tolerance. Pastor, if you want to know who the worst sinners are, I can point them out to you. And I, I can even name some names if you really need to, need to know. What about the Apostle Paul? Would you be willing to lump him in with all those other people as the worst of sinners? Would you? This is Paul. A man specially chosen by Jesus to be a missionary. The greatest missionary of all time, hands down. A man who wrote nearly half of our New Testament. A man who was willing to die for the gospel. Who faced governments and angry mobs, but still preached the gospel with absolute joy. Would you lump Paul in with the worst of sinners? Would you be so bold to do that? Well, you don't have to. <laughs> he saves you the trouble. He does it himself. He says twice in our lesson, I'm the worst. I'm the worst of sinners. Paul says, I was a blasphemer, and I was a persecutor, and I was a violent man. And all these things are true. Right? Before he was called to believe in Jesus, before Jesus appeared to him on that road to Damascus, that's exactly what he was doing. He was a persecutor of Christians. His life's goal was to end Christianity. It was to go to different places and round up those who believed in Jesus Christ and confessed his name and put them to death. Our Sunday school children today and their virtual Sunday school lesson online are hearing about Stephen. And you remember the story of Stephen? Right? He, he will not, uh, he continues to confess Jesus Christ. He will not recant. And they stone him to death. And you know who's standing right there? Paul. Well, Saul at the time. Telling them to do it. By his command. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was a violent man. Well, Paul, maybe you are the worst. I mean, trying to end Christianity, that's pretty bad, right? But do you also hear what Paul says? I was these things, but I was acting in ignorance and unbelief. And Paul's not trying to squeak out of this and say, well, I, I'm not really guilty of those things. You know, it's not, he's not excusing it in any way. It's true. He's speaking the truth. He was acting ignorantly. He really did believe what he was doing was the right thing. What about us? <laughs> Most of us, lifelong Christians. Are we willing and ready to admit that most, if not all, the sins we commit are not in ignorance 
And they're certainly not in unbelief. They're done knowingly, willingly, sometimes even gladly. If Paul's the worst of sinners, what am I? We love to play this comparison game, don't we? Who's the worst? <laughs> the Pharisees were really good at it. We heard it in our gospel lesson, didn't we? They're, they're, they're criticizing Jesus because he eats with those that they had dubbed sinners. Right? And, and the religious people, in their eyes, you wouldn't even talk to them, much less eat dinner with them. That was a, a sign of being friends. They were really good at playing the comparison game and pointing out all those around them who are a lot worse than them. And we're good at that too, aren't we? It's real easy for us to look around and say, well, I've never been on the evening news before for something bad. <laughs> you know, I've never abused my spouse. I've never done drugs. I've never done all these things that all these evil people out there are doing. It's real easy to begin to think that there is a whole lot worse sinners out there than us. But guess what? There's no trophy for coming in second. There just isn't. Fact is, when we finally realize that not they are the worst, you are the worst, but I am the worst, that every sin I commit, every single one, makes me worthy of nothing from God. Absolutely nothing. And that puts me in the same place as everybody else. When I finally come to realize I am the worst of sinners and realize that God owes me nothing <laughs> because every sin makes me worthy of hell. Being cast from his presence forever. That I deserve absolutely nothing from God, not peace, not his love, not his forgiveness, and certainly not eternal life with him. It's when we finally come to realize that I, I am the worst of sinners. That mercy can finally step in. That we can finally know what mercy really is all about. The word mercy, or to be shown mercy, means that you don't get what you deserve. And we know what we deserve. God is very clear on that. God is very clear about his standards. And we know we don't live up. We know that we fall short. We know that just like everybody else, we fall short of that perfection or glory of God. But God doesn't treat us as we deserve. Instead, what he did is he showed us mercy by himself taking on flesh and by himself becoming the worst of sinners for us. That in him, in Jesus, who had no sin, he became sin for us. That every single sin of ours was placed on his shoulders. So that we would not have to face that punishment. Jesus took what we deserved. Jesus took that punishment of hell Jesus took that punishment we deserve so that we could be forgiven. So that we could be free. 
and so that we could be his. Friends, that's mercy. I mean, if, if this does not change you, if this does not make you look at your life differently, then go back to that cross again and see where justice and mercy meet. Where you see punishment for sin, your sin, but yet you see mercy for you. This is the way that Paul said it here. He said, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And friends, those words are for you too. You say these same exact things. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out on you abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Jesus. And Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom you are the worst. Friends, see mercy. See the mercy of God that takes you, a sinner bound for hell, who can do nothing to change it, and to come and place that punishment on another, to come and to make you his, to come and set you free by his mercy. And friends, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? It has to. This is what Paul says is the result. He says right at the beginning of the lesson, verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. You see, Paul knew what it meant to be set free. Paul knew what it meant to be shown the mercy of God and now that, that that's been shown to him, what difference that made for his life. That he was now given God's strength and he was considered trustworthy and appointed into service. And now you might think, well, that's Paul. He, he's an apostle. He's, he's specially set apart for service. Yes. He had a different role than you, had, you have. But friends, when you know mercy, you are set free. And you are strengthened. And you are appointed to go and to serve. To serve in mercy. But maybe, you know, along with Moses, you say, who am I? Right, Lord, who am I? First off, that you, would, that you would want to love me. That you would want to forgive me. That you would want to spend eternity with me. Who am I? But, but on top of that, who am I that you would want to use me in your service? Who am I? The worst of sinners, that you would choose me. Friends, here it is, isn't it? Here is our new purpose. Here is our new life in Christ. Here is what mercy looks like in our lives. That God calls the unqualified and makes them qualified. That God calls the unfaithful and makes them faithful. That God calls the weak and makes them strong. <laughs> that God calls us to go and show mercy to the world. When you hear the words minister and ministry, what do you usually think of? You probably think of like, things that happen here at church, right? The minister stands up front here and, and leads the church service, right? You think about ministry is, is what we do uh, through the church and for the church, right? But, but those words minister and ministry are much more basic than that, really. The word ministry means service. And to be a minister is simply one who serves. 
and not just in the context of what we do here in this building or in the name of this church. You see, friends, by his mercy, every one of you has been made a minister. And you have a ministry. And I'm not talking about like the Apostle Paul, where you got to go and be the greatest missionary of all time. I'm not talking about like Moses, where you're going to go free some people from slavery. Or even like Matthew, right? We're going to put everything behind, right? And it's a new life that you're going to leave everything else. No. You have ministry in your everyday life. This week is probably, for the most part, going to look pretty much like last week, right? Same things you got to do. Go to work, do the household things, right? Be a parent, be a grandparent, whatever you got to do. But you can look at it a lot differently, completely differently. Because you are a minister. Everything that you do this week is ministry. It's service to God and to others. So just imagine, if you could view folding the laundry as ministry, (laughs) which it is, (laughs) think about everything else in your life. Everything that you do. Everything that you say. Everyone that you come into contact with is opportunity for ministry. Because of mercy. To live in that mercy and to show that mercy of God that you have first been shown. Think about what impact that has as you go to a job that you really don't care for a whole lot, right? Or, or as you go about the household chores or as, as you go about being a father or a mother or a grandparent. It changes absolutely everything when you see that my life is ministry. It's what I'm called to do by God's mercy. It separates, or it, it, it takes away that separation of, of what I call the, the sacred and the secular in our life, right? This idea that we so easily uh, fall into that, that, you know, I've got that God part of my life where I go to church and I read my Bible and I do my prayers and, and then, that, okay, I'm done with that and I move on with the rest of my life, right? And then I go do all the other responsibilities I have. No, there is not that separation in the life of a Christian. Instead, everything in our life is sacred, Everything is done in the name of Christ, for Christ, through Christ. All of it. Our entire life is one of ministry. Your entire life, when you walk out of this building, is to put into practice and to live what you heard here. And every time you open his word, and every time you talk about it with a friend, every time that you are in that word, you go and then you live that word. That is your ministry. That is who you are. That is what God has called you to be. And that's what we get to go and do. Not motivated by guilt or compulsion. Not because we have to. Not for the recognition. We do it because we've been shown mercy. We can't help but show that mercy to the world. And so we get to go. We get to leave here and go do the mundane tasks we got to do this week. It's unspectacular as they might feel, but with a new meaning. A new purpose, a grander purpose. To give glory to God. To love as he has first loved us. To show his mercy to the world. To the king, immortal, invisible. To the God. To our God, the only God. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.